0: Hello and welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, we are going to be continuing the story about building security. Where do you start? Where do you go from there? And in today's episode, I have Kevin Fielder with me. So Kevin, just in case people didn't hear the last podcast, uh, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Cool, hey. Yeah, so I'm Kevin Fielder. I'm CISO of Just Eats or Jets, as we're now known, as we've just become a larger company. Um, so, yeah, so I'm really passionate about kind of building teams, building strategies, um, building security functions. So that's what exactly what I've done at Just Eat. So it seemed a really good idea to talk about exactly that with Holly because she did a podcast just recently kind of covering building security. So I, I kind of volunteered and said, hey, do you want to kind of follow up with that and, and talk a bit more about building strategies and teams and, and engaging with the business and all of that good stuff?
0: Sounds good. So I think one of the things that I started when I tried to do a vague unscripted rant about where I would start security, I said one of the first things that I like to do is is developing policy, because I kind of feel policy is like a design document for implementing security. But where do you like to start?
1: Policy is one of the first things you do. But I think before you even get there, if you are starting kind of either as a kind of do-over or pretty much greenfield whether it's a startup or a larger firm that's just realized they they need a security team and a strategy is to do that understanding piece so you know much i love getting things done i think the worst kind of way to start is kind of dive in and go this is what we need mm-hmm. and until you've kind of done that understanding piece so your first few week month or two plan should really be understand the business get to know all your stakeholders get to know the pain points um understand what the risks are and problems are to that business start getting a feel for the risk appetite those kind of things you won't bottom, bottom it all out um, kind of week one but in those first few weeks start kind of getting a tasteful of those things Um, understand what they've got in place already is there any policies you know from acceptable use to HR policies to whatever else in place already um, understand what security tech and process and stuff is in place so then you kind of know what you've got and what you need to achieve but then obviously you're right in saying f- from that one of the first kind of artifacts you create, um, other than maybe your kind of high-level strategy, which obviously include building out policies. So you might you know one of the first things you do to get buy-in from the board and the exec, whatever else would be kind of that kind of straw man strategy of this is what I want to achieve, this is how I want to go about it, this is how I want to kind of make sure I align with the business. And that would obviously have things like creating policies and procedures, building the team, all of that stuff out. Um, I guess the only sort of slightly opposing thought I've had to that and, and what I did, I did some of is, um, build out some operational capability. So, you know, it's all well and good building out a security policy. But if you have nothing in place like monitoring and understanding and detection response stuff, you could be getting utterly smashed right now without knowing it. So you'd be writing a policy about what you should be doing while someone's stealing your data. So part of me is also, if there's literally nothing, um, start building that operational capability immediately. Um, I don't think you need a policy to hide behind to do some of that. Um, So yeah, so get some to I Sorry, think that's
0: a, a big thing, isn't it? It's, it's that difference of like when we say, "Where do you start with security?" It, it really is like, "Well, where are you at? Are you building something completely fresh, or are you inheriting something?" It's like a different question, right?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So, so you know, and 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 so and it's it's that balance, right? There's obviously you know that there's the the balance of of policies, procedures. Um, and those good things that you need as a baseline. And, you know, we've all had that kind of pushback when you say, hey, we should do this. And someone's like, where's the document? Where's the policy? It says we have to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
1: yeah, and that, that I, I I want to lose my shit for want of that term when people do that because it's just hiding behind a lack of some written down thing for doing the right thing, usually. Um, but, yeah, so it really is that thing. And I think it's that little that risk assessment piece. What's your risk? What's what's where is the business is kind of step one. And then that'll frame what you should do. Um And I think you can do stuff in parallel, right? If you've got a remit to do things and, and building a team or there's a team there already, you can start doing things in parallel. So it might be for me, the first two things will be get kind of a high level strategy and plan and kind of step one is build those those policies, but in parallel also get some of those kind of baseline operational things in place. You know, no one's going to say you need a policy to do monitoring, right? I I can start monitoring kind of key assets and ingress, egress, stuff like that, just obvious things date, you know, as soon as possible. I can start building out a small security operations team to deal with incidents and start hunting for things and, and that kind of stuff, ASAP, right? So if that's not there, that's probably as or more critical than the policies, because without that, you've got no idea what's going on.
0: So one of the one of the first things you mentioned there in that kind of like stream of things to consider was risk appetite. What do you mean yeah. by risk appetite?
1: So like every org has, you know, and it's it's a really hard one because people it's a very hard one to pin down. But just you get a feeling for kind of how risk averse versus kind of risk taking the organisation is. So some organisations will want to move really fast um get things done, launch product quickly, um, and take some inherent risk with that to be super fast and whatever else. Some organizations might be, you know, in a really tough battle for their, their, their market. So they'll take some more risk to win because if they don't win, they're not in the market at all. Um, other places may be, you know, very risk adverse. So, you know, sort of some of the financial services and, and longer term investments and whatever else that are slightly slower moving might be super risk averse and, and want to have a very process-driven and policy-driven organization um, that takes much less risks and is much more kind of considered in their approach. Um, And there's nothing wrong with either, um, but you need to understand that Um, and you need to kind of understand your business and where where the people there are coming from so that you can make kind of appropriate decisions and appropriate program. If if you're in a a move fast, get things done, um, do as much invisible security as possible, uh, kind of you know DevOps Agile whatever other terms you want to use organization and you come in with well we need all of these policies and then we need all of these procedures that people follow and then we need all of these toll gates and processes you'll get nowhere and people will think you're an absolute clown because you don't understand the organization at all yeah. um, so you need to work on in that okay so how do we automate things how do we put security in the pipeline how do I work with engineers how do I get kind of security in at the design phase all of those kind of things will be kind of a slightly different conversation whereas if you're in a heavily regulated industry, it might be much more around what regulations apply to us, how do I ensure I meet all the regulatory requirements, how do we have the right policies and processes in place to ensure we're trusted by the regulator and all those things as well as doing the kind of security stuff. So I think depending on the organisation and depending on the regulatory landscape and depending on how kind of risk tolerant versus risk averse they are, that that's going to make a huge difference to your program and, and you know the amount of investment that's realistic and the size of your team and all of that will kind of be shaped by what's the appetite for risk versus security versus process etc um we touched on it a little bit in the, the last the last chat right if you haven't listened to it listen to last week's podcast yeah so like the covid stuff right so a lot of organizations would have taken more risk to get everyone working from home because you had a choice of everyone works from home or we don't do anything and possibly disappear so you'll take a quite a a, a much more risk tolerance stance to get everyone working from home yeah. day one and then over the following weeks you try and manage that risk better
0: so it sounds like as you describe it um, risk appetite has some kind of um, constant values so for example regulation might be a constant value we just cannot change this because we're bound by some regulation and then possibly some uh, variables here it as well so talking about things like current events you know saying coronavirus has impacted our risk appetite is that what you're saying
1: Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, you you have as an organisation, I think you're you're a certain type of organisation and you have certain tolerances and and certain ways of doing things. And then, yeah, like you say, if there's a catastrophe or a massive change or unprecedented as the word everyone uses constantly at the moment, things happen, right? You'll you'll have to take more or less risk to survive or make dramatic changes.
0: So how do you start with that idea of the risk appetite then? You say you're looking to the organisation for what they're wanting, but as the security leader, is that a thing that you can feed back to the organization that says the risk appetite is inappropriate with the business objectives, maybe? Or is it just you take the appetite that you're given?
1: No, I think it's a two, you know, hopefully it's a two way conversation. I mean, to some extent, you take it, you know, if if they're making, I think your, our job is the education piece. So people may think they have a certain risk tolerance, Mm -hmm. but not realize they're taking a lot more risk than they expect, or not realize what the ramifications that are. So, as with everything i think our job is is very much inform and educate um so i've recently gone through an exercise of kind of trying to bottom out the risk appetite in a bit more detail where where i am um and we we're kind of proposing we took the kind of top six or so um most critical security risk to organization and and went around kind of circulated those and socialized those with with the exec and and other people to make sure that everyone agreed they were probably the biggest risk to us Mm -hmm. so we took those and then for each one of those we've done um between two and four scenarios that say, you know, if this happens, so, you know, we might have a risk around, say, customer data, for example, and then a the scenario might be external hacking, um, an insider threat, a third party access, some of those kind of things. And then for each scenario, kind of did a, a low, medium, high risk tolerance.
0: Yeah.
1: Where low risk tolerance was obviously um, had, but as part of that, we also covered the organizational impact. So where you have a really low risk tolerance, we also covered, okay, that means you'd have, you know, probably a maximum of 10 records would get out before you detected it, but it would mean we'd have much more process and policy in place and higher investment to protect that. And obviously a, a super low risk tolerance would be like you know a million records might get out before you spotted it, but you'd have almost a, a bit of a lack of process and then, then, then one in the middle. So for each one of the kind of scenarios, we've kind of put a sort of low, medium, high risk tolerance with both the expected outcomes, if there was a breach or, or, or an incident and the expected outcomes in terms of organizational impact um, and obviously, the outcomes also cover things like regulatory impacts and fines and customer trust and all of those things to try and make it as realistic as possible. Um, so then we've gone round to individually to most of the exec to um, kind of cover those off and go through them. Um with obviously a focus on ones that are, are closer to their areas if they didn't have time to go through all of them yeah. and kind of get a feel for each one of those where the where the exec was and then from that we've kind of built a pack that kind of says for all of these different scenarios it looks like just eat is you know here here and here for these different types mm-hmm. of risk Um, and then from that, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, completely empirical. It's a bit of art as well as science, but that gives, that will give me a really good idea of where we sit. So then I can frame my security program to be within that tolerance and say, okay, we're doing all of these things because you said you don't tolerate that, but we're a bit more relaxed here because you said you are prepared to carry a bit more risk there. Um, obviously that's a bit heavy handed for kind of week one. If you're new, um, and you may, you know, you, you go a bit more by feel and kind of gut and just talking to people for that initial feel, but then you can do something a bit more. Um, kind of scientific and, and a bit more kind of organized once you've kind of got that initial strategy underway.
0: So you talk about this kind of balance between um, science and art, and I guess there there's a difficulty between um, things that impact risk that that can't be measured so easily. So things like um, how do you deal with likelihood? If you look at a particular scenario, like um, insider threat for just as a as an example, um, how do you determine what the likelihood of that kind of attack is?
1: Yeah, so this is one of those things where I, I, I've got a real issue with a lot of the kind of um, risk frameworks yeah. um, and ways of measuring it because they all pretend it's it's all science and it's frankly not right. Yeah. We don't know tomorrow what zero day is going to come out. We don't know tomorrow what member of staff might be approached with a bribe we don't know tomorrow what member of staff might be struggling financially you know all of these things right or who's just had a bad day or whose friend was made redundant and now they want revenge because their mate was made redundant yeah. all of those things you don't know what's going to happen so to pretend that um risk assessing and likelihood is science is i, I think a, a massive reach and, and something we should be honest about and just kind of be really open with with our organizations that look we these things happen. Here's evidence that they happen. You know, you see them happening in the wild in other companies. We know these things do happen. Um, we know that if this did happen, these are the likely imp- outcomes in terms of if this many records got out, this is the likely thing that would happen in terms of press and regulation, or whatever else. We can guess some of those things because we see it happening. Um, but in terms of likelihood, it's kind of, well, and, and this is how likely we think it is based on, but it's within a very big tolerance of it's just based on you know, other people in our sector or other news stories or other things we know about there's a bunch of breaches we don't know about um, there's a whole amount of unknowns mm-hmm. so this is a bit of art based on our expertise and you employ us because we're experts in this field right so yeah I guess yeah there's that bit of building that trust mm-hmm. um, but it is a bit there is some art as well as science to this I think and, and it, we should just be totally honest about that because we don't know what's happening tomorrow who who predicted COVID yeah do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. yeah. so so I think I think just just to be honest that, that we have, there is some art and some skill as well as the science that goes into this. Um, and the same as risk tolerance, right? There's never a people don't put, I tolerate £47.50 of loss or whatever. People don't do it and that's not how people's brains work. Yeah. So that's why I think the scenario piece works really well because it doesn't come to an empirical number, but it comes to really good feeling for where we are that it has a really good conversation about what kind of things you tolerate and what kind of things you wouldn't and what kind of organizational impacts are okay to get within that tolerance.
0: And that's that's the thing, right, with like trying to get it to a number, trying to talk about things like annualized loss expectancy. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about um, high, medium and low risk, but maybe you could grade that out of 10, you know, like how high is this on, you know, maybe something like a CVSS-based score. Um, or you could break that down further into like out of 100, you know, how how high yeah. impact this is. And it sounds like you're saying that, you know, trying to get a figures, uh, an accurate figure out of it is maybe not the best idea. It's, it's more like... Um, documenting the reasons for why you've made decisions and, and trying to come up with um, uh, more like a feeling.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's, it's that right, and it, it's and it just gets you to that good place. And I think this comes to a lot of those things in terms of kind of security and and, and other thing, other kind of areas, conversations in organisations. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of things pretend they're science when they're a bit of both. Yeah. But you have that, you build out that that trust and rapport. So part of the job of the CISO and the security team is to kind of build a trust with with people in your organization and the people you work with so that you can have those conversations and you can have when when it comes to we want to release this or we want to do x you can have a a really good grown-up conversation about the pros and cons of it uh, and the risks of doing it and and why why from a business we really want to do it and why you might want to kind of hold back or do something slightly differently and i think come to a a much more mature outcome than just kind of sitting there going well the risk the risk says it's a 73 so it's red, so you shouldn't (laughs) do it you know that doesn't work for anyone
0: yeah i mean how do, you, how do you manage the opposite of that? So we're talking very much now about interactions with the executive team and making sure the executive team um, understand and accept the, the level of risk that we're talking about. But how do you balance that with a security team who maybe don't understand why some risks are getting, uh, I think we would say accepted, but they might consider ignored? And and how do you consider with the security team of things being like offset? You know, we're not going to fix this vulnerability, we're going to insure against it, or we're not going to fix this vulnerability now, it's going on the long term plan, not the immediate plan. How do you balance the uh, security team's desires?
1: Yeah, no, that is a hard one. And, and I certainly kind of earlier on in the kind of building of our team had had some people with real issues that were very disgruntled that we weren't being listened to and no one cared. Um, and, and part of that was because we were kind of a new team and we weren't getting as listened to as we do now because we were just building out the capability, right? And we weren't hadn't built up that kind of reputation as a good team to go to and because you know, it takes time to build up reputations, right? Um, but, you know, and it, it is, I think it, it's one of those things that as people mature in the industry, they they get to realize that, you know, we're going to do a great job. But sometimes we won't always get our way because, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of business and organizational imperatives. You know, fixing issue X means we don't deliver feature Y. Yeah, that's that's the actual thing. And if you've got infinite resource, same as we can't do. You know, we can't have um, you know, the the best Chinese tools all the time. I mean, you shouldn't need them anyway, right? But you can't have all of the investment you want. You have to justify your investment. Yeah. Um, I think it's same as that, and it's 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 talking people through, and it's it's demonstrating to them that it is being listened to. So when you have those wins hey you know we are now doing this it took us it took us longer than we thought but look they are fixing this they are making a complete change to how authentication works based on our recommendation it just took six months longer than we hoped um so you can show them the wins um and do your best to kind of educate them around that um that you know we don't always get what we want but hey look they must want to do good security and trust and realize it's a good thing because we have a team so if you're in a company that supports you hey look they're investing x millions or hundreds of thousands depending on your organization size we have a team of x people we have these tools we have these capabilities we have these policies we go to you know, architecture meetings we get yeah. project asking us at the start so you can see all of the benefit we're doing so it's remind people of all the good we're doing and the fact the organization does fundamentally give a shit because they employ a security team and they give us budget and time and remit to do a lot of things but we don't always get our way because yeah we're all an organization that's that has a mission that isn't security it's a mission that's to do be the best at x yeah. um and we do security because we want to be trusted as well right
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense and i, I guess it's one of those like explaining to the team that things are happening but maybe not immediately you know it's a more like a, a journey
1: yeah absolutely and 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 yeah and it's one of those things where you find that you find the companies that you resonate with and you work really well with right so so yeah. if you're in a company and you're really passionate about doing certain things or you know whether it's security or whatever and they're not you know it may be that you should go and move to another organization that is more aligned with your beliefs yeah we we, it's, it's i always i'm always kind of a big believer that employment's a two-way thing
0: yeah. it has
1: to be you you deliver awesome stuff for the organization and they pay you salary and give you training and whatever else as recompense for that. Yeah. But equally, they give you a career that you are passionate about. Hopefully, you know if you're lucky enough to be in something you're passionate about. But they give you a job or career that you think is is worth the squeeze. You know, the juice is worth the squeeze. You give your time and effort in return for money and career and whatever else. Um, and it's always it's a balance. You know, it's an equation. And if it's not right on either side, then that's when either the company or the person should make you know decisions around. Actually, if I'm not happy. I want to be the person that comes to the office every day and everyone goes, why do you keep waiting about your job, get a new one? I'll actually go and get a new job.
0: We're almost kind of broaching on uh, culture here, aren't we? Not from a security culture point of view in terms of the wider business with security awareness, but just like the culture within the IT security team.
1: Absolutely. And I think, yeah, and it's, um, and that's, that's the other thing. It's, you know, the team, I I think I'm a very big believer that you can have really strong localized culture as well so obviously you want to work for an organization you believe in but your direct leadership and your direct team that you interact with like you know three quarters of your life makes such a difference so i'm you know like where where i am just you know it's a great place to work but i'm so incredibly proud of my team because we've built a really good culture you know they help each other out they check in on each other you know there's you know there's the amount of times they're all checking up on each other make sure everyone's okay um you yeah, know, there's times when people who aren't on call jump in to help the on-call team when something goes wrong, those kind of things. It's just a really good, helpful culture. Um, and I think that's that's so important. You know, I have people in my kind of leadership team, for of a better, better word, within security, who are like, you know, one this is who've had places where they haven't felt empowered and trusted and they're like, this is amazing. It's one of the best jobs I've ever had because we've got such a good team. So, you know, if I if I ever move on, I think the hardest thing's gonna be moving on from the team we've built because it, it it's so good. Um, and, yeah, I can't overstate the importance of that culture. Um, and I think one of the things I've learned, sorry, I'm going on a bit, but it's one of my little soapboxes. Um, one of the things I've really learned as a kind of a manager of team or a leader of team, whatever you want to call it, is you can kind of, it, you know, the, a lot of the kind of, you know, I'll probably get shot for saying this, but a lot of the kind of HR rules are there to protect the company and the people if things go sour. But if people are delivering and doing a great job, you can kind of give your own team a really good, environment to work in a little bit regardless of what your organization's like because you know the people team and other leaders and people have no idea what what, you know especially if you're across multiple sites and you have remote working whatever else already right people don't know where your team are or what they're doing so as long as you're on top of your stuff and you're attending meetings you can make your team life much more flexible and empowered than perhaps is the norm in your organization um because you can right so kind of you know, I've, I've I've been tempted to write a book called Break the Rules, which fundamentally just talks about this, right, which is just throw that rule book out the window, make an awesome team, let your team work how they want, how they need to, you know, whether that's flexible working, whether that's working from home, whether that's, you know, whatever it is, empower your and, and let them be super empowered. So, you know, it's really hard as, as a slightly geeky leader to not get stuck in the weeds, but let them own stuff, let them drive it and let them tell you what you should be doing because they should, they know better.
0: Yeah, I think that you you kind of just touched on a really important point there. When you get to that that high level leadership side of things, where, um, you know, you're you become a bottleneck, right? If you want to be involved yeah. in everything, if you want to do everything, then you're not parallelizing things, and everything's gonna choke either because you've taken you know um, an authority stance and everything needs to be approved by you, or maybe as you say there, just because you're a bit geeky and you want to kind of you know get involved with everything, it can it can stop a lot of progress.
1: Yeah, no, it's certainly been a big learning for me, which is step out of the way of your people. So a lot of my job is try and clear the path, get the support, get the budget, whatever else, but then get out of their way. Yeah. You know, if I've got a team of passionate, engaged engineers who want to get stuff done. I should know what they're doing and I, you know, I'll I'll check in a lot about what's going on. But if I start being involved in decisions or saying no, we should go with X, yeah. that's not helping them and that's not empowering them. Yeah, so we'll have a clear set of things we want to achieve this year or this quarter.
0: Yeah.
1: Go off and achieve it tell me what you need. I'm not going to tell you how to do it.
0: So kind of, we kind of talked around something here. You've mentioned uh, having team members who maybe don't want to be a part of the team, maybe not a good cultural fit or something like that. And then we've also talked about, you know, building the team as one of the the first steps of, of you know, developing your security strategy. So I guess this leads on to um, how do you hire the right people?
1: Um, so for me, it, it's, yeah, it, it's probably like I don't know what what percentage. Ninety seven percent about kind of awesome people who are super engaged versus kind of necessarily having all of the technical skills. I'm a big fan of minimizing job specs. Um, we haven't done it perfectly every time, but I think we we hired a we've hired a few people with with job specs I've written that were kind of three to five lines long because it's like you have a whole load of preamble about the company. They know that they can look it up, and it's it's you know say you want a SecOps engineer, right? Yeah. They know it's just Deep. They know we're DevOps and Agile, so they can look it up. So I think I did something along the lines of um, one, looking for an awesome security operations engineer that um, has ideally a bit of spunk experience, ideally yeah. done a bit of threat hunting, um, and has you know, yeah, it was, it was sort of something else. But it was, it was that short, and that was kind of it because the rest of it, you know, right? If you want to be working security operations, and a load of it's kind of just garbage or you know must have this skill, must know that. You can learn all of that. Um, so for me, it's super about passion. I'm wary of saying fit too often because that can lead to kind of only wanting certain type of people. Um, so it, yeah, you, you want to be careful of, of pushing too much on kind of team fit because sometimes you want people who will challenge that a little bit because they think differently. Um, but yeah, passion, engagement, drive, look for people, especially at the junior end who've gone and done stuff. If you've been to meetups, have you contributed to open source? Have you, yeah. You know, what books, what, you know, if, if, if you have someone coming in and it's like, so yeah, you want to get in security and they're like, and you're like, yeah, what blogs do you follow? What books do you read? They're like, yeah, you're like, well, you don't really want to get in security. You just want to get some money, don't you? So lots of people got that passion to put a bit of effort in. Um. And yeah, it's you know we have a really simple, and I'm quite lucky because I kind of get away with. Unless someone's a people manager, we don't even have a, a kind of a people team involvement in the interview process. Other than helping us kind of screen stuff at the start, yeah. Um, and we get to see all the CVs, and because it's niche, we we do a lot of the finding anyway. Because you know me and some of the guys in my team have got pretty solid networks, so we yeah. find you know our talent team like us because we find most of our own recruits. Um, but yeah, it, it, and so to so keep the process simple, look for people who are really engaged and passionate. Um, and want to get stuck in and work with others you know if they're junior they want to learn they want to be a sponge if they're more senior they still want to learn because that's important but they also want to help mentor the, the sort of more junior people in the team um, oh i think and, and... this is
0: i think this is a big thing actually it, it, it comes up when i talk to a lot of organizations this idea between like um how do you define senior within the role so one of the things yeah. that that i like i highlighting within businesses and, and hopefully Sakara are doing a good job of it, is this distinction between manager and individual contributor, right? So you have um, somebody whose career goal is to um, grow into a mentoring and maybe a traditional management role, and then you have somebody who wants to just develop into a very, very technical specialist. And just because you're good at your job, because you're a good sock analyst or you're a good pentester, doesn't necessarily mean you want to manage people.
1: No, I think that's that's one of the traditional problems across not just security all fields, isn't it? It's like right, you're good at that, therefore yeah. you can manage it. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm I'm a shit manager. I just like doing what I do. So one thing we're we're super lucky at, and this is this something I think all all of, all, all organizations should do is is we have kind of career pathways, um, and they go from but they they can be technical or managerial. So you can be, uh, you know, obviously you can't get a job if it's not there. But fundamentally, through, through throughout a tech organization, we have. All the way from kind of associate which is kind of um just come out of either kind of university or an apprentice scheme yeah. through mid to senior to principal and even i think above principal distinguished engineer so you kind of you can stay a pure non-management engineer um one of my principals does do some management he's got a small team but you know he could be called a a, a senior manager it's just you know whatever right but yeah, so you kind of have a career path that that really does allow you to kind of get super senior and be very good at tech. Um, And and we even started looking at kind of different shapes of principal engineers. So, um, you know, some principal engineers might be like an I shape because they're just the best at X in London or whatever. And other ones are a bit more T shapes. They've got some depth, but they've got a bit of breadth. So that's kind of more kind of principally architect type type of role, but still very technical, but just a bit more, I know a lot about a lot, but I just, rather than being a super specialist, um, and then we have kind of tracks that go up, kind of technical manager, senior technical manager, head of kind of stuff as yes. well. So we have kind of career paths, and you can we allow people to move between them. Obviously, again, only if the suitable roles. You can't just kind of flit around because you fancy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we at least re- we do recognise that, and I think that is that's a great point that you have to, you know, and you want some people like that. You can't have a team yeah. of managers. Because that's pointless, right?
0: Well, I think it, I think it's huge because you're going to get. Um, I mean, my my experience is is very niche to within pen testing, but you're going to get some really really awesome pen testers who maybe want to mentor on a technical side of things want to do you know hands-on training with the junior team to show them you technical techniques but maybe aren't either a good fit or don't want to move into the managerial role on things like disciplinaries um you know yeah. the actual day-to-day management as opposed to um technical leadership
1: no 100 percent. i think that should be supported and, and you know for me the, the mentoring bit is really important um you know, one of the big things about kind of more senior technical roles is not only if they've got kind of a real in-depth technical ability, but they probably kind of have some war stories. Yeah. So you kind of hear some people floating around going, oh, yeah, you can build your whole team out of junior people and they're just super keen and they are super keen. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's a, a pretty short sighted approach for when you have an incident. Right. If you have an incident or an issue. Yeah when the shit hits at the fan, some people who've been through that before and have, have the battle scars are going to stay calm and know what to do and follow the process. Whereas someone brand new may well struggle a bit with how to cope in a, in a kind of major instant situation.
0: That was um, that was something that I was thinking in, in last week's podcast as as we recorded it. I don't think I brought the true details out of it, but, but something that was in the back of my mind was um, I, I was working with a, a law firm who had a really serious breach in, in 2017. And uh, they had, you know... Um, the unit of measure for affected endpoints is the thousands. So it was around, you know, eight, nine thousand affected endpoints. And when we were in the the meeting for like, oh gosh, what are we gonna do about this? Um, I was pretty chilled out. And there was another another guy there who was who's was pretty chilled out as well. I remember talking to him about like, why is everybody in this room stressed out, but but we're okay. And his response was, you know, this isn't my first breach, <laughs> you know. And and that's the distinction, like having a junior team who are um, really really energetic really really want to take the initiative and want to learn a lot of things um, is a good thing but but also sometimes it just it just helps to have people who have done it before.
1: Yeah so like, like most things in life right it's all about balance yeah. you know you have, have one you, know, you can make up a, a, a kind of a. Th- proportion but you know one senior to x number of juniors might be might be awesome like two or three juniors you've got one senior helping to helping the leader manage yeah. or not manage but mentor and, and, and train the juniors and then you have some kind of you what know, people yeah you know, the junior people and they, and they are they're so you know the, the passion that people who, who've just come into the field and are like wow i love security i want to do everything i want to soak it all up mm-hmm. having that passion in your team is yeah. awesome and, and you know i'm a massive fan of of, of apprenticeships um i think it's one of the best ways to, you know, it gives people who may not have got to university or not want to go to university or, you know, and, and from more diverse backgrounds, a lot of people who come out of university come from a, a more standardized background, I think, whereas a lot of the apprentices, you you bring people in who've come from different backgrounds and different ways of doing it. So, um, you know, one of my biggest success stories is we, we've, we you know, we've only had one through so far I'm pushing to get more. Um, but like two weeks before he joined us, he was stacking shelves in Sainsbury's um, and he joined our team and, you know, before the end of the apprentice scheme, I was, you know, I, I'd, I'd pushed to get them a, an outside of, of, of yeah. standard pay rise to give them a decent salary because they were genuinely part of the team and they're a SecOps analyst doing real work. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's just a, those kind of things, giving getting people in from different backgrounds and different ways of thinking, you know, getting to diversity now, right? Yeah. Um, and having that, and it's also a pipeline, you do yourself a favour if you've got kind of a, a mix of different levels you do yourself a favour because then in two years' time, you've got some seniors who are super engaged, um, hopefully really kind of, you know, sort of, grateful is the right word, but kind of embedded in your company. Then And They know your company. They, they've been given the chance by you, right? Um, and they're, they're, they then become the seniors as the seniors may move yeah. on. Obviously, you have that pyramid shape, right? You can't have a team of 15 principles because that doesn't work mm-hmm. um but so so you some of the people seniors stay within your. some may move on or become managers or whatever else and then your junior people that are now super part of your organization come through to be your seniors and help bring on some more junior people and you get that pipeline yeah you know, in a utopia it works really well
0: yeah i mean the the diversity of things really important just in terms of what you're talking about earlier of you know having a team that understand a lot of different things if you, if you hire from from the same backgrounds if you say uh, have a company policy where you only hire people with master's degrees or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you're, you're just cutting that pool artificially, right?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, and it, it's, it have having, it's kind of like we touched on with the, when the hiring piece as well, if you look for, that, that's why I kind of, I've often historically said cultural fit's really important. And I think, in some, you know, have, having that passion and engagement and being a good person that wants to work as part of the team is important. Yeah. I think cultural fit should be shied away from a little bit as too much because it's a, a trap where you can fall into only hiring people that you think are like your team, as opposed to wanting some people that kind of cause a bit more yeah. of that, you know, the storming, forming, norming piece, right? But then yeah. you get a better team at the end.
0: I think I think the thing there, it, it, it just depends on on what you mean by culture. And maybe implicitly, we're, we're talking about. Um, passion as an aspect of culture so you want somebody who just you know wants to do the security thing wants to be the best stock analyst they can and some people might hear the word culture and and start writing a list of job interview questions that are things like what is your favorite ipa what is your favorite video game because they're not looking for um, a team fit in terms of passion they're looking for a team fit in terms of like the same like tribe the same background the same aspects
1: yeah no, absolutely yeah. If, if by culture you mean Love security, is passionate about getting things yeah. done, and wants to work as part of a great team and help others, then yeah, that's 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 I think a good cultural thing to look for.
0: Awesome. <clears throat> so we we've mentioned policy, we've mentioned building teams, we've talked about how to assess risk, risk appetite, those kinds of things. At the early stages of developing your security strategy, what have we missed so far aside from those three things?
1: Um I don't know. It sounds like a trick question. It feels like you're about to say, ha ha, you missed this, you sucker.
0: Oh, no, somebody mm. will. Like comment section, they'll be going mad. Like, <laughs> yeah, how no, do you, you not consider uh, compliance auditing? But I mean, just yeah. wh- what do you start with as as a, uh, an opinion piece?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, it, it's, it's step one is is get to know your org, where you are, what you stand, wh- where you stand, mm-hmm. what's in place, what isn't in place. You know, is it truly greenfield? Is there a bunch of stuff there already? Yeah. Um, and then build out that kind of get a buy-in for that strategy piece, right? And it doesn't have to be like a million year, it might just be here for the next three, six months. But if you want to build a team or get stuff in place, you need buy-in for doing that. You're gonna need some budget, you're gonna need support, you're gonna need you know kind of yeah you know, not just exec, kind of people across engineering or whatever else where you need to help people help help you do things, where you're gonna impact how people work a little bit sometimes. So get that buy-in and and tell the story of what you're trying to achieve and why. Um and try your best to align that with the organisation goals, right? So, like we touched on, if it's a super agile or being too process heavy, isn't gonna isn't gonna land well. So you've got to kind yeah. of land it in a way that works for organisation, um, and then get started with building out stuff as quickly as possible. So not yeah. just the policy stuff. Um, you know, day one, start start your one at day one, but kind of as soon as you understand a little bit, start going. Okay, how, what what do I need as a team? What's in yeah. place currently? And you have to be a little bit ruthless. If there's a team in place currently that isn't right, you need that remit to make changes as well. Um, yeah. It sounds harsh, but but you you can only succeed with the right team. So yeah, yeah if it's think, a brand new thing, is, sorry,
0: this is a thing that um, certainly comes up in software development, right? Where you have uh, tech debt. I think everyone pretty much understands tech debt of you know things like oh, we've still got a Windows two thousand server because it's running some critical application or something like that. But but there, there's other forms of of debt within organizations, right? There, there's uh, management debt if if management has, has Previously made poor decisions, then they maybe need revisiting. So we're talking about here in terms of just like you know if the if the team isn't working, if you're doing things wrong, then you know you've got to you've got to take some action on that, right?
1: Yeah, and yeah, that that's kind of I think that makes it even harder, right? If you're an organisation where you know it's. If there's a culture that's kind of open to change and ready to change, that's great. If you're in one that's not, you've got kind of a much harder door to push against because you've mm-hmm. got a bunch of people doing certain things who believe they should be able to do things a certain way that might be inherently you know, risky or unsafe. So, yeah, yeah it's it's assessed that readiness to change as well. You know, I, I know some years back, um, you yeah, know, I won't say where, where it was, but myself and someone else. Um, both started, I didn't know them, we just happened to start somewhere on the same day. um, And we were both brought in as kind of solution security architect types because they wanted to be more agile and more dynamic and get stuff done. Um, He left after six months, I left after a year because they fundamentally weren't ready for that change. You know, I spent spent three or four months arguing that we could virtualize something. And the compromise they agreed on was to build a new VMware stack and do a one-for-one server to virtual server implementation, which was beyond broken if you understand anything about virtualization yeah. um so so yeah so it was just it was it they they thought they wanted some change and they didn't so we both left pretty quickly so you know it, it's assessed that you know what what's the organization's appetite for change and improvement um and it might not be that it means you should leave but it just means you can temper your your delivery of what you want to do and, and how much change you want against that background you know if you think they are wanting to change but there's quite a lot of cultural movement first you might want to kind of be a bit more kid gloves with, with how you deliver your kind of strategy and plans yeah. so it lands well and people come on that journey. You know, people take time to come on a journey. I often find, yeah, you probably find the same way. If, you, if you've if you got a really cool idea and you just bang straight out, hey, we should do this, it's amazing, and you've already worked out in your head why you should do it, and you just smash <laughs> straight out and let's do it, everyone's like, uh, that's stupid, we can't do that, and they really resist it. If you start talking about, hey, we should do X at some point soon, then yeah. three, six months later, like, hey, we should do X, and we're like, hell yeah, we should do X, we've been talking about that for ages, great idea.
0: Yeah, I think you see that not only in terms of like processes, but also technologies, right? There's some people who chase like the latest framework and then there's um, some people who, who like to to sit, to sit within what they're used to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's, it's, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's not that people are bad. People are just people are, you know, creatures of habit. And Some people love change, but a lot of people don't. And even yeah. some people think they love change, don't. So when you say, hey, we should change something, they're like uh, I don't really feel comfortable about like this. And they don't even necessarily know why. They just resist it because it's different to normal
0: yeah you've talked a lot about uh agile and also using the term devops how how does that impact building a security strategy you know between i would guess what are the benefits of waterfall what are the benefits of a more agile approach and and what do you mean when you talk devops and agile <laughs>
1: A huge amount of questions in one that is um so i don't think either approach is, is inherently right or wrong Right, it's what's right for your organization and, and the environment you're in so there's a lot of kind of like hey this is best and i think that's that's wrong um, you know both can work for for different plans and, and you know some projects are inherently waterfall it's just because they take time if you want to go and build a new building you can't do that like agile. You'll end up with a toilet in the kitchen or something. You
0: know,
1: it, it, it's, yeah, you've got a plan and you get approval and you build it and it takes months or years to build because it it's a massive building, right? So some things just can't be done in a kind of DevOps way. You might break it up in small chunks, but you still have a an inherently kind of a plan. Yeah. And conversely, I think DevOps as an excuse not to plan. is not untrue either. You still have that initial, what's our end goal? It just allows you to kind of deliver value in much smaller chunks. Um, and it allows you to pivot if you need to a bit more easily.
0: So what do you um, mean I think,
1: by uh, pivoting there? So say, for example, if you think um, you're trying to deliver a, I don't know, say, for example, you were building a a Windows Phone app, right? Mm-hmm. When Windows Phone launched, you thought it was going to be the next big thing and be amazing. And then it turned out no one bought Windows Phones. You might pivot to making an, an iOS app and it'd okay. be a bit more easy because you hadn't invested a whole plan and what, you know, 16, a, a massive long plan and you could kind of pivot and change. Or for my team, it might be, oh, you know, take where we are for now, for example, we're, We've just been we're just merging with Takeaway.com, so we're now called Get. Um, so for me, you know, I've got a twelve month plan, but because I deliver everything in kind of two week sprints, I've already started having those discussions. Well, we're probably going to change an awful lot of what's in our plan for the rest of the year <clears throat> because we might be thinking now, how do we work with the new and new our new um, colleagues on making sure that our whether it's their monitoring or our monitoring, but choosing the best monitoring solution and getting that rolled out across the whole group. So rolling things out across the group becomes a a bigger priority than a new capability because we have big gaps in our visibility, for example. So, But I can pivot without throwing stuff away because I guess it's a bit more agile than DevOps, but because you kind of do that agile way of working, every couple of weeks you do a discrete piece of work. Yeah, um, And I think you could do that even for kind of a waterfall project. So a really good example that I use for this is, we were rolling out a new vulnerability management <coughs> solution to scan out all our, all our offices. Um, and so that's kind of waterfall. We choose, test products, choose products, roll it out, right? And the end goal is it's scanning everywhere with kind of a process to fix issues it finds. Yeah. But because we we break that into chunks, so this this two week sprint we might put it into the Spanish office, next two week sprint we might put it into the Italian office um, and get it working and get it feeding back into the, the end user support team so they can fix issues as an example, right? Yeah. So every chunk, every sprint you deliver some value, and if you have to stop at the end of that sprint, you can walk away and then come back and do the next office another time. Yeah. So you can still a lot of big projects can still be turned into discrete chunks. Um, And then you kind of ask about DevOps. So DevOps, I think, you know, it's kind of agile, but with that kind of rigorous, you know, whatever you want to call it, rigorous or extreme ownership. So you own your thing and you own your thing forever. Um, And I think that's a really important message. So you build it um and then you put the code into production and you run that code and you get phoned in the middle of the night if it doesn't work <laughs> and you're 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 you own it you own make sure it's reliable you own making it so it's secure you own everything about your component yeah um and i think that's a really strong thing and i think done well it's it's absolutely epic because it just you know if nothing else you don't want to be woken up at three in the morning so you make sure it works right yeah. um and it just has you know, done well, and it, it doesn't need DevSecOps or any other bits added to it. You know, why not have DevSec, QA, unit, <laughs> testing, whatever else in there, right? It doesn't need that. Yeah. Um, if you go to DevOps.com, they've got things like threat modeling and stuff as part of their process. Security is part of it. And it, it's that, that's the thing I think the message gets a bit watered down when you start putting other stuff in it, is people forget DevOps mean you own everything about it. Yeah. So if you make a component, you own making sure that component adheres to whatever architectural and policy standards your organization have. You own making sure vulnerabilities in that component, whether security or reliability or functional, are remediated because it's your component. So I think if you get people on board with that and genuinely on board with the real kind of DevOps, um, it makes things work really well. And then you, you as a security team. Have to work with that, and all that just means really is you understand how it works. You integrate at the design phase and build phases. You do automated scanning of everything because stuff's going out the door fast, right? So if you're doing fifty, hundred, thousand releases a day, whatever, you have to automate all your testing because you can't do manual tests and you can't tell people in three days' time that something's broken. Yeah. So it's just it's not you know for me, and 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 I think that applies. You can apply those security principles anywhere. If you're even if you're waterfall, right? If you're in a waterfall organization and within five minutes of you checking in code, I can tell you about security vulnerabilities. That's great. I might be able to get away with telling you in a few days, but it doesn't. But I can still do really good kind of DevOps-ish security and scan stuff every check-in and be really fast and just be better at security. So I think you can apply kind of DevOps approaches and agile approaches to delivering security, even if the rest of your organization isn't. That's probably a whole nother talk, right? Kind of doing agile security. <laughs> okay, sorry effort. for another time, yeah. you no, know, absolutely. But I'm really passionate. I think doing... Doing even in a non-agile org, if you run your security team as an agile team um, and try and deliver value really fast, and try and engage with engineers and developers and, and people really fast, you just get things done more quickly, and people just are like, "Oh my god, how are you so good?"
0: Yeah, I guess it's that it's that ability to iterate, isn't it? It's the ability to um, to not only pivot, as you mentioned earlier, but to like break something down into pieces and then and then develop it as you go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that that principle is, I think, really valuable, right? If you can deliver, you know, and we often talk about how does security demonstrate value because it's you know often seen as a cost center. So yeah. if you can have a, a roadmap and you can every every time someone asks, you're like, here's what we delivered last last sprint. Here's what we delivered delivered last month, and you've got a list of, you know, whatever 50, 100 items we delivered. All of these things, and what I've just done is link them all to risk. So, well, my team has a, a lie if I say I did it, but um, <laughs> we, we have a we have a delivery manager who helps us, and and they've done an awesome job of kind of we had all of our projects and then we did a kind of the 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 quarter plan of detail and then the 12 month plan of kind of a bit less detail but we've linked it all to both our strategic pillars so we have kind of you know everyone has a strategy and strategic pillars and and, you know whether it's culture or protection or whatever right Um, but we've also linked them all to our key risks so we've got a, a list of key risks so we've taken the top 13 risks and we can clearly demonstrate how every single piece of work we do is linked to managing one of our key risks and also linked to our strategy so kind of those things seem a little bit annoying, but it's really powerful because I can now demonstrate to whoever wants to know here's everything we're doing, here's everything I delivered last quarter, here's everything I'm delivering this quarter, here's what's at risk, here's which team owns it, here's what risk it's against, or risks it's against.
0: How do you, how do you balance having that availability of information and, and I guess documentation with actually getting things done? If you have that level of you know ability to say here's what I did last quarter, how do you make sure that you you know are delivering things for this quarter?
1: So I think it's it's for us it's you know we've had a lot of help from from a lady uh, called Claire who's absolutely smashing helping my team do this but we we use a project management tool happens to be one called road Monk. I don't really care what the tool is. Yeah. you put it all in there so once it's in there once you don't go back and say you know it's just a different report, so it's got every quarter in it, and literally all the team does is every couple of weeks they just tag the task and go okay it's 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 on target so it's green it's delivered so it's done. It's at risk, or it's being pushed back, and it is—you know—it doesn't need a huge amount of things because we're not—we're not doing a billion things. Um, so, and it's obviously any project stuff, um, any kind of the, all the ad hoc they'd say BOUs, just Jira tickets and whatnot. Yeah. So, it's just our project tasks, um, and then we have a quarterly planning session where we go right, what's the detail for next quarter, um, and then every month Claire helps the team just get an up to date snapshot out of it so I can put it in slides and look like I'm awesome because I've got some amazing slides. <laughs> um, it's not, you know, it's not, it's it's a bit of an overhead, but it, it's like, you know, um probably an hour or two a month for for my leadership, not for everyone. Um and the plan you've got to do the planning sessions anyway, right? Otherwise no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. So you've got to, each team has to agree what they're going to deliver and they have to break it down into chunks so they can do Jira's and, and know what they're doing and, and be able to hand it to someone else when they're done and whatever else. So you've got to do some level of planning so you can deliver a project. So it's just kind of writing that down really. Um, and turning it into a kind of, you know, and then just tagging it with this, this task goes against risk four and seven and it's mostly within the protection pillar. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. now there, it took a bit of while to get there, but now it's there, it's it's running really well um, and isn't a massive overhead, but um, I think it's important you get, you know, I resisted it a bit, so i Someone, oh, we should just be doing stuff. We know what we're doing, you know, and, and it's, and it's true. We do. We, we've had a bunch of audits and not one audit has ever changed what we're doing because we know what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but having that way to demonstrate just gets you the buy, and it's like, hey, you do know what you're doing, you've got a plan, you can show what you've yeah. delivered, yeah so it the, you can't underestimate the value of being able to show people, yes, we delivered we said last month we were going to deliver fifteen items, we delivered fourteen, this one was pushed back because of this, they're like you've got your shit together, yeah, you know what you're doing. and the difference in response that I get now i've got this in place talking to, whether it's exec or board or whatever, is extreme. So I can't, I can't kind of overestimate the value of getting your, your, your kind of house in order from a what am I doing, how is it linked to risk perspective.
0: Yeah. So um, one thing on that, we, we talked about um, building the strategy and then building the team. And now we're mm. talking about getting that team to feed back, either through project management or just through kind of managing JIRA tickets and things so that so that you're informed about what's happening. But how do you handle when team members leave? We mentioned it earlier with you know seniors leaving and things like that but what if somebody's just given a better offer and you lose you lose some of your team how do you handle that
1: um so so obviously yeah i think there's this kind of two bits right you try and make your team as as, as on your in working environment as good as possible you yeah, know security is pretty frothy pretty much anyone can move just for you know, if they want more money they can move yeah. um so you make your team as good as possible you, you make your you do what you can to support people when they're doing great work you're for the fight their corner to get pay rises and whatever else but it's more about the team culture um, you know, you make it so people don't want to leave your team because it's a great place to be, right? Yeah. Um and I, I do my best to really support that, whether it's you know, and it's little things like you know, if your company says you can only have X training days a year, if someone's doing great work in delivering, they can have as many training days as they want. Do you know what I mean? So stuff like that where if you want to go to conferences, you want to go and learn, you want to go and present at conferences, um, you want to do these online courses, you whatever it is. Um, you know you want to kind of you know and even if it's working on specific projects you you can't let people do whatever they want but you can do your best to kind of support them in their careers as well as you can Um, and your best have a really good team culture so that people do genuinely support each other so it's like wow I love working here yeah I I had a struggle yesterday and my boss was like that's fine take the time or Jim will pick it up or whatever it happens to be Um, so just just that cultural piece I think is super important to it and you are going to get some churn right and you don't take it personally you know we've had some people leave not not as well as i'd like and we've had other people leave and they're just like look i found got a really good offer because i want to do security architecture and here's a security architect role but thank you so much for the opportunity you gave me you got me in security you know effectively i've got this job because of you and it's like wow that's amazing we've helped your career um yeah if you manage the churn there's always going to be some churn um i think we we have lower churn than i'd expect because of the cultural aspects of our team um, but when people do go, you do your best to make it a good leave. So they're leaving, like, wow, that was brilliant. And it's, you know, you don't want to burn your bridges, right? Because it's a small world. If you leave yeah. somewhere burning your bridges, there's 15 people who wouldn't recommend you for a job, you yeah. know? So, yeah. So, so yeah, leave on good terms. If people leave because they found something better that's more suitable to them, and it could be all sorts of reasons, right? The right role or oh, a yeah. uh, role or a home or a part time role, if they've got, whatever it is, there's going to be a bunch of reasons for that that you might not be able to meet. Um, and it could be a massive say You know, I had someone in, in my Canadian team leave for, about a 70% uplift in salary for a sales role. And I was like, I can't match that. And he had yeah. family on the wall. He's like, look, I've got to take the money because I, I, I want to kind of give my family the life. And I was like, yeah. awesome. You know, good luck. There was no bad feeling. Um, we'll look to hire someone new. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, and just be mature about it, right? There's always going to be people moving on.
0: Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess that's the best way to do it, isn't it? It's just um, accept it's a fact of life, but do your best to minimise it.
1: Yeah that's basically it and, and yeah and it's and have that succession planning right so you've got you've got you know, people in place yeah you know, and and try and minimize it's harder with a smaller team you also want to kind of minimize that single point of failure stuff so whether your way of working is to have multiple people swarming on tasks rather than each person owning one or whatever happens to be try and minimize that kind of relying on one person too much because then then you really do struggle if they go
0: yeah, that's where you start getting into and knowledge, isn't it? Where it's like, yeah. well, that person always did it, and nobody else really knows um, how, yeah.
1: so how we, it was done. We kind of try and enforce, you know, sharing tasks amongst the team, make sure more, you know multiple people know how to do stuff. Um, especially in operations space, my 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 goal and the team's really really done well at getting there is whoever's on call, it doesn't matter that the level of service will be the same because they all know how to do their stuff. They yeah. um, kind of share out that knowledge, make sure everyone's got the right skills, um, and. Yeah, and, and rely on people, but try and make it so that, you know, and there's and don't over document it, but there's enough documentation, all that kind of stuff, so that people can pick things up if, if you Because know, it's not just if you believe someone might get sick or oh yeah, you know, have a disaster or be run over by a bus. Yeah, you know, obviously touch wood no one does, but you know, there's a whole bunch of things that can happen that make single point yeah. failures a bad thing.
0: Awesome. I think I think that's everything that I'd written down in terms of notes. Is there any any major points that you'd plan to raise that we haven't talked about?
1: I don't think so we just yeah it was just yeah like we say it was just to have a good chat about kind of building teams and, and whatever else and I guess for anyone who's listening it'd be great to have your thoughts and stuff we've missed or things that you know Holly or me or anyone could talk about in future that you're interested in
0: oh definitely I, I always like uh kind of shouting out to social media and saying there's there's got to be something we've missed right when you've got an hour of unscripted content you you can't have <laughs> everything so um, if people let us know over social media what it is we've missed, and um, if it's something within uh, Kev's field, then we'll get him back in for a, for a part two, and we'll say, yeah, you, you missed it. You've got to you've got to do better.
1: And <laughs> You're an idiot. Yeah. So, basically, that's a challenge. List all the things I've missed.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and maybe we we can go more in depth one day about the yeah. um, the DevOps, the DevSecOps. QA ops and and have that kind of give give that topic the, the space that it requires
1: no absolutely awesome thank you
0: awesome well thanks for coming on no worries